I want to bring to you a message called A Winning Affirmation for 2021. So if you've got a Bible, you um, may need it, you may not need it, because I reckon this passage is so familiar that you're going to, re- you're going to just know it off by heart tonight. However, um, I reckon we all need an affirmation for the year that's been. We need to get ourselves in a headspace to win. What a challenge. We have uh, just walked through it the last year, hey? And the, and the space that we've been enduring is not neutral territory. Society isn't aligned with the ways of the Lord. Have you noticed? Have you noticed? We're in a battle. And there's never been a truer time in history than, than this battle of the mind needing to be won. And I reckon after the year that's been, many of us are in a haze. We're dealing with um, uncertainty about the future. We're feeling a bit emotionally frazzled. And uh, whilst in Australia we have a ton to be thankful for, certainly as it relates to COVID, I think I heard in the news this week in India in one day, this week in, in India, just one day they had 315,000 new cases. So speaking of Australia and the context we're in, we are doing extremely well dealing with what some call a global pandemic. But who knows, the implications we're feeling are real and uh, this, this disease will leave behind some damaging residue and it's kind of affected us all emotionally, spiritually, some, some of us financially, no doubt, for the young person wondering if there'll be a job when you finish your course. For the older person wondering if you'll have enough after the superannuation has taken a gigantic hit. Um, there's emotional implications. Those that struggle with mental illness at a time like this struggle even more to keep their anxiety in, and depression and things like this in check. And we know that organisations like Lifeline have been flooded with, uh, with calls. There's spiritual implications. We feel a lack of connection as we've been um, put, you know, put boundaries on how we can meet and who we can catch up with and, and the amount of connection we can have together. And we wonder when we'll ever get back to normal. You've been hearing that question. When will things get back to normal? And I think the scary thing is, will they ever get back to normal? Are we dealing with a new normal? Are the things that we've kind of adjusted to over the last year of Zoom meetings and social distancing and contact tracing and sanitizer and masks. Are some of these here to stay forever? Undoubtedly, some of these things will, and we're dealing with a new normal. There's quantum leaps that have occurred in our culture in recent times. It's summed up in this quote by Lennon. There are decades when nothing happens, and there are weeks when decades happen. Of course, it's just a perception statement because really that's not true. There's the same amount of time in any given week, but there's times where it seems like nothing is happening. And then there's other times where it seems like there's plenty happening in a short space of time. Who knows the last 12 months has been hectic. There's been plenty of shifts and I'm not sure we'll just be winding back the clock to where we were. And there's miles and then there's miles, isn't there? And you can take your car down the highway and that kind of puts some wear and tear on your car. But you can take your car off-road and go bush and you're left with dints and scratches and things to deal with, bumps and bruises. And this past year, I think we're being left with some dints and scratches and bumps and bruises. And we feel a bit fatigued and a bit anxious about what's coming next. The last message I gave, I talked about orientation, disorientation and reorientation. 
some of us are feeling a bit disorientated. And in that message, I said the big question of life is not what's happening to me, but what's happening in me. Not what's happening to me, not the external circumstances, but the story I'm telling myself about what's happening to me. So what story are you telling yourself, I wonder, over this past year? You know, the bad news media is there. They're willing to fill up our heads with a negative if we allow for it. It won't just stay out there. It'll end up in here unless we put a filter on and guard our minds. Melissa Wainsitch says this, burnout is when your soul can no longer bear the weight of your life. I wonder how many of us feel like we're kind of touching that space. It's kind of like, how much longer can I go like this? Now, some of you, on the other hand, are not at all worried. You're like, global pandemic, we're past that. We're good. It's just like the cold and flu. We need to get on with our lives. I'm glad that some of you feel that confident about where things are at. Well, guess what? This affirmation we're going to look at from God's Word tonight still applies to anyone feeling that confident. But for any that aren't feeling that confident and are feeling like the emotional and financial and spiritual factors we mentioned are going to have long-term implications, then this affirmation will definitely apply. Now, this affirmation is something that I'm sure you're familiar with if you've been around church. And even if this is your very first time, if you're joining us online for the very first time, you're probably going to have heard this too. So let me give it to you, a winning affirmation for 2021. It's this, the Lord is my shepherd. Let that crash into your emotions and do a number on you this weekend. The Lord is my shepherd shepherd we're going to do something different tonight rather than look at a big passage of scripture i'm just going to sit on those five words because i feel like they've got so much weight in them that is so appropriate for us at this time in history rather than cover the normal 10 or 20 verses and do a flyover we're going to take a bath rather than have a shower we're going to soak deep just in these five words the lord is my shepherd first word the you say john what could you possibly say about that the i mean is there any meaning there well yeah there is i mean it does not say there are many gods who shepherd me that would be radically different it says the lord the lord is how many lords is there then one this is what we call a monotheistic view of the world mono meaning one the theistic meaning God or and so the Lord is my shepherd there is only one God this didn't originate in David's song though in Psalm 23 from the outset of scripture actually the Bible assumes monotheism the very first verse in scripture says in the beginning God created notice what it doesn't say then in the beginning all 50,000 gods got together and decided to form a world now in the beginning God, the one God, created. However, what happens over time is we drift, yeah? So from the Bible's first book, which introduces that concept of only one God, to the Bible's second book, society wanders miles away from this idea. Monotheism, many gods, is rampant. And God comes along and wants to call a people out of a nation that were in slavery at the time, Israel, out of Egypt and the thing about that is 
the Egyptians were very, very much on that spectrum of polytheism. It wasn't as though Israel's God was a problem to them. Oh, you identify God as a shepherd? That's cool. Add him to our list. This is how the Egyptian thought about divinity. They had hundreds and hundreds of gods. So another god was no problem. But when God calls Israel out of Egypt and he gives these um, Ten Commandments. Now, actually, the Old Testament has hundreds of commandments, some 600, but we kind of focus on the big ten, and I guess that's relevant because of how they formed. I mean, God sends a guy up on a mountain and supernaturally comes down and visits Moses and gives him these ten commandments. But how they came, I think, is just irrelevant, just as, as relevant as the nation starts being formed under God. God gives these ten commandments and the very first one is have no other gods before me now before me we we probably read that and think about a priority list right I'll put God at the top it's not really that literally means before my eyes so don't bring another God into my presence before my eyes I don't even want to see such a thing this is what God is saying this is a monotheistic view of the world. God wants a distinctive bond with his people, always has and always will demand that. I'm the one true God and I want to hold your affection above all else. I'll talk to you in street talk for a moment. God won't be two times. God won't be two times. He says, you're going to come before me. Don't come with, a, with another option in your back pocket. Don't have other phone numbers in the phone just in case this one doesn't work out. No, no, no. We are going to be a one and only arrangement. David gets this. He's thrown all his eggs in this one basket. The Lord is my shepherd, the one true God. I'm not dividing my Lord. I'm not going to split this down the middle, give 50 here and 50 there and just see how it turns out. And David says, I'm all in. The Lord it's my shepherd. There's only one qualified to shepherd me. We need a solid winning affirmation, don't we, at a time like this? And this is the anchor that we need. We have Christ, the way, the truth, the life. We have the one true God to hold on to. David sings his song, the Lord is my shepherd. He is the one and only. Next verse, next word rather, Lord. God is many things, but if we're going to grow in relationship with him, it kind of hangs on us discovering him as Lord. This is critical. This is important. He's not just a friend. He's not just a good mate. He's not just a helper of sorts. He is the Lord. Now, this doesn't translate, translate neatly into Australian culture. The best word we probably have is master as we think about what is a Lord. But even that is not a word we really use much anymore, hey? So I guess the best word we could probably come up with that might be common for you is boss. The Lord is my boss. Even that's a little bit clunky, but it's probably as good as we can do. I wonder how that would change our prayer lives. If instead of saying, dear Lord, we started with dear boss, kind of puts things into perspective a little, doesn't it? David saw his guiding light was the Lord. He was an authority figure worthy of honour and respect. Now, again, referring to the previous message about reorientation, part of that disorientation dip that we sometimes go through in faith when we've had this honeymoon period where God is amazing and then all of a sudden we dip down and God's not so amazing. Part of that dip 
is us wrestling with this idea of lordship. It's when God no longer is keeping up his end of the bargain or how we interpret him to keep up his end of the bargain. In these early days, he was doing what I wanted him to do. What with this? What's this business of him not answering prayer? And there comes that time where you've got to go, am I only following because of what I'm getting out of it or am I willing to let him be God? This is the lordship question. When you play the game... Simon says, and the command is hands on head, you don't go, no, Simon, I feel like putting my hands on my hips. That's not how the game works. Sometimes we treat God like that. Uh Uh-uh, I'm going to do this. That's not how this works. Back in 2008... John MacArthur wrote a groundbreaking book called The Gospel According to Jesus. The main thesis or question answered in this book was, can Jesus be saviour if he's not Lord? Can he be our saviour if we don't actually name him as Lord? Now, it was groundbreaking at the time, at least in my circles, because saviour was such a highlighted concept. But this lordship idea was well and truly underplayed. And it was groundbreaking for us to recognise, and I think it's now very, very straightforward, the more of scripture I know, but of course he can't be saviour unless I make him Lord. They belong together. We've got to deal with the lordship issue. But it's a huge struggle, isn't it? Because we feel like we're losing control. If I give control of my life over to God, well, I'm losing my freedom. And actually, you find it there. You find it there. There's a peace in the simplicity of being a follower and trusting and obeying and letting him lead. This is a winning affirmation that will help us endure. The Lord is. The Lord is. I love the verb in this sentence. It's in the present tense. The Lord is my shepherd. Not he was, or I'm hoping one day he will be. No, the Lord is is sometimes psalm 23 is used exclusively in the context of funerals and that's okay that's totally fine to do that's appropriate but it's certainly an underuse if we only think of this psalm in a funeral context this is a psalm about life actually this belongs in the for the living it's practical in nature. This psalm covers things like eating and walking and drinking and relationships. It's a song for living. It's a song about life. It's a song for the present. And amongst everyday life and the ups and downs and the in-betweens, the Lord is present, shepherding me, David says. On my first service at Axis last year, Lionel read a poem. I saved it. I was so moved by it was just a beautiful, beautiful illustration of God's presence. called I Am by Helen Malico. Let me read it. I was regretting, regretting the past and fearing the future. Suddenly my Lord was speaking. My name is I Am. He paused. I waited. He continued. When you live in the past, 
with all of its mistakes and regrets. It is hard. I am not there. My name is not I was. When you live in the future with all of its problems and fears and anxiety, it's hard. I'm not there. My name is not I will be. When you live in this moment, it's not as hard. I am here. My name is I am. God says my name is not I was. It's not I will be. It's I am. That poem was written almost 40 years ago, 1982. Some of us prehistoric creatures in the room remember that year, yeah? (laughs) We were here. Well, guess what? David, thousands of years before that, already gets it. He's already under this concept. He already understands the truth. He won't live in the regret of yesterday. He knows there's no grace for that. He won't live in the anxiety of tomorrow. He knows there's no grace for that. The only grace available is grace for the present moment. That's where David's staying. The Lord is my shepherd. You say, oh, nice try, John. I mean, David had this affirmation, did he? Wonderful for a king in a palace, isn't it? He's probably there on the banana lounge feeling very shepherded, being passed a drink beside the swimming pool, cello playing over in the corner, leaf blowing, you know, fanning him. The Lord is my shepherd. Life is wonderful. Hardly comparable to me. David, keep on singing. Just don't expect me to sing along. I'm not going to add my voice to that song. If you knew what I had to go through, then you wouldn't be singing it either. Well, I'm not so sure. I reckon David might have many of us covered in terms of the hardship that he faced in his life. Anyone had a royal army on a search and destroy mission for around seven years, seeking their life? This is David going from cave to cave, looking behind as shots are being fired. This is his existence for a long period of time. On the run from King Saul, who out of jealousy and insecurity was hunting down his life, sending his best soldiers, his best soldiers to take David out. I wonder if anyone can say, yeah, been there, done that. Probably not. This is David's experience. I'm not out to minimise anyone's pain. I know we've all got stuff we carry. It's not a comparison game. It's an acknowledgement. It's an acknowledgement. We've all got hardship. We've all got trials. We've all got challenges. Every single one of us. Some of us will be worse off than others, but it's even more reason to grab hold of this affirmation, yeah? And to say, the Lord is. He's here. Even in the middle of a mess on a Votsod day. What's that? The valley of the shadow of death. One of those. He's there even then. The Lord is. He's my shepherd, my. David knew the power of making faith intimate, heartfelt, close. God wasn't just a theory for David, a pie in the sky. It was personal. He was a shepherd and not just a shepherd. David says he's mine. He's my shepherd. Some would say such a view of God is ridiculous. It's folly. This is what's called deism. 
It's a worldview that God created. He wound up the world like a clock and then he just walked away while it ticked and has no interest in it whatsoever. This is called deism. So God's powerful and he created everything and he's just not interested though. Don't expect to engage with him. Don't expect to make anything personal connection because God kick-started everything and then left the building, took off and left humans to it. Well, that kind of helps us make sense of suffering, doesn't it? Even things like a COVID season, global pandemic. It's easy. You can explain that away, as the philosophers do with this theory, by just saying, well, God's there. Yes, there is a supernatural being. He's just not interested in the planet. But that's not Bible. From page 1 to page 1200... The Bible screams relationship, passionate relationship. This is what God wants for us more than anything else, a relationship. He hung on a cross and said, I love you this much. It's personal. He's revealed his feelings for us. Even on a Vatsod day, we're not abandoned. In fact, this is where the psalm gets hottest. When David strikes hardship, he takes his relationship with God up a notch. And here I go outside the five words that we're considering this weekend to the fifth verse of the psalm. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Now watch for the personal pronouns here. I'll fear no evil for you. That is a person I'm relating to, an intimate God, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Can you believe it? David's testimony is the harder life got, the closer God got. That's how I've found it to work, he says. It just drove me to a greater dependence on the care of the shepherd. God remained personal in every season, even when it was dark. It just made David hold on to the shepherd even tighter. His grip gets even firmer and he says, the Lord is mine. And this affirmation holds him steady, even through the valley of the shadow of death. The final word, a splendid word, beautiful word, shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I wish we had more time to explore the fullness of this word, but we're running out of time. Uh, Explore the fullness of biblical material this week in your own time on the shepherding of God. It's a a beautiful, beautiful word and concept to, to have the Lord as your shepherd, your carer, your minister. God is available for that. How cool is it? Earlier I mentioned we've got to let God be Lord be our boss, but once that's established and I'm under his lordship, then this tremendous opportunity gets open to me to have him as shepherd. The Bible says it like this, consider the kindness and severity of God. It's all wrapped into this relationship with him. Our Heavenly Father is a masterful shepherd. I hope you know that. We struggle to relate to the concept of shepherding in our country I know in ancient Israel things were totally different shepherds knew their sheep by name so in the courts of heaven 
your night three two seven five four nine. In the mind of God, you're not eight three one nine three two. You're not a number. He knows you by name. The Bible says, and this shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He cares so much for them. This is the biblical imagery of shepherding, and God is like that towards us. And in ancient Israel, this is how they understood this. I have a friend by the name of Ray who went on a trip over to Israel. And he was particularly keen to see how this shepherding unfolded, to research and understand it and come back with an even greater concept of what God is like. You may imagine his horror on the first day as a tourist. He sees a flock of sheep coming down the street. And get this, there's a guy behind with a whip cracking it, yelling and screaming at these sheep down the road. And Ray was like flabbergasted. How does this work? This doesn't fit at all with the biblical imagery that I've been told. And he couldn't handle it. He had to interfere, so he did. He went up to this guy and said, I've come to the Holy Land to research. I'm a Bible scholar. And what I'm seeing here doesn't fit at all with what I'd been told for years about how a shepherd treats sheep over here. And the guy laughed out loud. He said, I ain't no shepherd, mate. I'm a butcher. And I'm driving these down to my slaughterhouse and I'm going to turn them into minced meat. Whoa. The sheepdogs warming up. <laughs> Friends, there's two people interested in your life. There's two people interested in your destiny. There's two people interested in your well-being. One's a shepherd. One's a butcher. Who are you allowing access to your heart? One's a shepherd, one's a butcher. God is an incredible shepherd. You'll find better care nowhere else. And this weekend, are you allowing him to care for you? Are you allowing him to hold your heart through this season? Are you allowing him to, to carry you and keep you emotionally healthy through a time like this? We're needy people, aren't we? We've got needs galore. We've got spiritual needs, we've got financial needs, we've got physical needs, we've got emotional needs. Are we letting the good shepherd care for those needs? As the music team comes, a reminder of Graham's warning last week. Some people have decided they'll be happy when they get married. Remember what Graham said last week? Ah-ah! <laughs> Ah-ah! You'll just make misery a partnership. That's all you'll do. If we're waiting to get happy for something else to happen, Les Parrott says it like this, if you try to find intimacy with another person before achieving a sense of wholeness in God, all your relationships become an attempt to complete yourself. So many of us come into community wanting to be found. Someone fulfill me. Someone take care of me. Someone complete me. It doesn't work that way. Coming together well actually hinges on me arriving full, full, satisfied, content, loved, because the Good Shepherd holds me. Then and only then, I'm not looking for some experience to fulfill me. I'm not looking for a special role so I'm important. I've found it all in God. And then I come to give. 
not to get. But even as I give, I find it's more blessed to give than receive. But all of this is contingent upon me being shepherded by God, me allowing him to meet my needs. If I miss that, guess what? I'm a vacuum cleaner. I just come to suck the life out of anybody that comes near me because I haven't found my contentment in God. Would you stand for prayer? Oh, Lord, help us. Help us let you shepherd us. God, we claim these profound five words. The Lord is my shepherd. We're affirming them to be true. And we're affirming them to be our truth, truth that will change our lives. And so for the remainder of this year, or for that matter, as long as this season lasts, we're lifting up our eyes beyond the present challenges. And we're holding on to this truth. The Lord will shepherd me. Let this be our winning affirmation, Lord. Let us have victory in you.